Hello, and welcome to another episode of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. By writers. To keep you writing. I'm Nick. I'm Gabe. I'm Shanghai. I'm Samim. And I'm LP. And kicking us off this week is once again Gabe to continue the conversation and refuse to be done by Matt Bell. Gabe, where are we at this week, sir? Awesome. Thank you. Um, so last week we left off talking about a bit about context, like the context of characters and how that defines most. I mean, all people were defined by our context. And there's something that I, I would like to add that is like just grazed on, upon on the book. And that is relationships. And it is just mentioned. It is not like, like Matt doesn't dive much on relationships. So that's, and for me, for my writing and the things that I enjoy in reading is 80% relationships. Like that's, that's the thing that I look for in, in writing. So, I mean, there's not much I would like to say here. Like I would just like to jump into the question for the group. And it's just basically how much do you think about a character's relationships while creating a character? Like how important is that to you? Or do you do it like later on in your process? Or is that like part of the main things that you think about a character? Like how do you go about that in your for your characters? LP. Uh, for me, relationships are, are tantamount. Like the only way to, for me to get characters moving or narrative moving is to is to deal in character in character interaction because if we don't if i don't have that then like it's a person who like decided that like through the will of god they're gonna make they're gonna change things in the world and like that i don't know like i can't think of a story that doesn't i can't think of a story that that works without character interaction kind of at the center yeah uh shingai yeah, I feel like I fully agree with LP. Um, characters, relationships in my stories are literally the most important thing because, okay, so my philosophy, my life philosophy is that we're here to be in relationship, in relationship with ourselves, in relationship with each other, and in relationship with the earth. And I feel like that's what makes stories what they are. Um just expounding on what relationship looks like and what it can look like and what gets in the way of being in relationship. Um, Cause those, those answer questions that we didn't even know that we had. Go LP. Uh, I mean, adding on to what Shingai said, I think, um, I think there, there are stories of exceptionalism and like the chosen one where like people can move through the world in a way that like doesn't involve effect or doesn't take on any influence from other people. And like, I, I think that's unrealistic because all people are in conversation. Like, I think one of the problems in story that people forget is that like characters are characters, right? Until you embody them and then they're people and people don't exist in vacuums. And it's, I, I don't know, I wouldn't know how to create a story without people interacting with people. I feel like I'm saying the same things, but here we are. Go Samim. Yeah. I mean, I, I was really vibing with what Shanghai was saying about how essential uh, relationship is to any human story. Um, 
but I, I do think this is something that is still like a learning for me. I don't think I always, um, I think I think of ideas of, for characters and then, then I throw them together and see how they interact in a scene. And I sort of learn from that. And um, I think through this first novel draft that I finished, I found out that there's characters that I thought were really essential that I'm, as I'm thinking about it now, I might go back and cut them or I'll have to find some like a new storyline for them because they're not, not really doing anything in the story at the moment because there isn't an essential relationship for them yet that I've discovered. Um, but I also think, um, like I said, I think this is something that is like probably one of the biggest areas of learning for me that I want to spend time on, like in like the next phase of my writing learning. Um, and I think I really need to like get uh, a good like romance reading list together because um, I feel like that's a genre that that does this really well um, and puts way more focus on it. Um, and I just haven't studied it very well. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, basically, we we all agree about how how much how important relationships are. So I mean, I'm I would like to ask more on the craft side in the sense of. At which point or how much do you develop relationships when writing a new character? For example, for me, every single character that I create, one of the first things, like top three things that I think is like their place in their family, like they're a male sibling, the the eldest, or the relation, their friends. How many friends do they have from childhood? Or that they make most of their current friends in high school age. Like all those kinds of things, because I mean, at least for me, that's that's what defines most people like 50% of i mean this i'm just spitballing numbers 50% of our how we grow and what we learn is like at home and the other half at least for me has been outside of home like all my friends um even if i had little number of friends at first and then many other friends so that i think that is that is key for how i think about characters because that's it basically teaches if you're a middle child you have certain skills if you're uh, the eldest child, you have certain skills and propensities for certain things. So how much of this do you think of a character or do you discover right that more as you go along? Samim? I think at the moment, I have been more of like a discovery writer um, in this aspect, um, which is really inefficient um, <laughs> learning. Um, and I think as I've develop more and more characters, I think I'm going to look back and be like, oh, okay, here's a framework I could use. And I know a lot of writers already have like a list of like their 20 or 100 questions that they're going to sit down and ask their each character in like an interview. Um, so they can, and, and they might not use all this stuff, but they can at least flush out a backstory for each of them and, and just have some foundational knowledge about them um, to give them ideas of how that feeds into the plot and their motivations in the story. Um so, so thus far, I haven't really done that. I think I've, I've tried and it's, I don't know, my brain doesn't want to say anything when I sit down and do that. Whereas if I just like um, put them in a random scene, I'm more likely to find out more. Um, yeah. Shingai? I think I'm similar to Samim in that I do kind of lean more towards discovery um, writing. At the same time, when you were talking about sibling relationships, in my novella, there's a ve- like there's a repetitive line of she's the oldest firstborn daughter, and like that, that for me was something that I was like 
this affects the way that she sees the world. And especially because I'm the oldest firstborn daughter, like I know very intimately what that experience is. Yeah. Um, so it was easier to write that onto the page and just the ex- the internalized expectations of what that is. Um, at the same time, it was also very much defined by her relationship with her brother. Like that was a refrain because her relationship with her brother was central to the story. Um, I think about the novel that I'm working on too. And like, there's a character who, when I first started the novel was one of the few characters who wasn't based off of an actual person who existed in history. Um, And so I was like, this is going to be a side character who I'm going to throw away. But as I kept writing, she became one of my favorite fucking characters. (laughs) And I was just like, okay, I can't, I can't kill you now because I love you too much. Um, (laughs) and, and a lot of that was based off of how the other characters interacted with her and like their relationship. So there's also a sense in, um, in like who the character ends up becoming is very much. And who they become to you as the writer or the reader is very much influenced by who they are to the people that they're interacting with, to very much influenced by the relationships that they have. Like what is important to them is heavily based off of that. Can I just yeah. say, yeah. sorry, real quick, uh, when, when I was reading that story, Shanghai, I'm, I'm the youngest um, in the family and my sister is the oldest and I was like I I know this I know this voice very well <laughs> I'm it glad was very well done thank uh, you <laughs> I mean that speaks to how well you did it Shanghai really to have that understanding of Samim in the other place so, LP uh, I don't generally have any understanding of like what my characters are like until I start writing them into scenes until I have them on the page and they're like interacting with the people, I'm just like, oh, okay. So-and-so is more this than that. Okay, great. Like, I also discover a lot of plot stuff while writing. So it's like, I kind of, I guess I kind of feel like I, I get out of the way and let the characters let me know what they want to do or like how they move in the world. Yeah. Sorry, I'm thinking about all the things. So mm. Nick, tell us, tell us about your process about this. Also, Will is with us now. Should we mention that? <laughs> Oh yeah, Will, Will's back. Don't, don't, don't bother, it's fine. <laughs> and I'm Will. Um, <laughs> sorry, I had to. You got that accent wrong. I love everything that's being said. Um, it's interesting reading romance and studying romance um, because you really pull out what type, like the true meaning of romance, right? It's not about the mushigashi or the hot and heavy stuff between two people. It's also about the platonic relationships that happen as well. Um, so I really, you know, I really look for that in my writing and my characters. For example, like look at all of us in this room and I quote room um, because, you know, we're virtual. Um But look at all this here, right? We're all here because of a relationship that we had with someone somewhere else. And we're also building relationships with each other. So, you know, what we go through in our lives or characters are going to go through in their lives as well. Regardless of how minimal that relationship is or how impactful that relationship is, it leads to other opportunities and shapes and changes how our characters move into that world, in their world that they're in. Damn, yeah. So, well. 
tell us things. I mean, in, in your writing, what I've read about you, Will, it's the core of your stakes of your stories are relationships, to be honest, like all the things. And I mean, knowing your sibling background, I, I can see how that informs your writing. So tell us, I mean, how how has that like consciously or subconsciously informed what you write or what you like to write about? Um, I think it's unconsciously, personally. I don't think I think about sibling relationships. Maybe I do, and I don't. Re I think I, I think it is unconscious because with Renegada, which you read, um, siblings definitely play a part, and I think a lot of the feedback has been. Um, Sorry, I was just reading LP's uh, uh, little text. I'm going to skip that. Um, it does play a part in the way that like, my two main characters are brother and sister. And I think from the feedback that I've gotten from it is that that's one of my biggest strengths, that they actually sound like their siblings and they relate and act like that. Um, I think the one other story that had siblings in it... Um, is probably this one short story I, call, I wrote called Soul Collector. It's very much about a sibling relationship. And um, that, was it conscious? I guess so. Maybe I thought about it a little bit, but like, I know this sounds real woo-woo, but like my characters, I have to like internalize them and they have to talk to me. I feel like I'm more channeling. Um people than me say going in and writing that's just how i um work so, so i don't know if he's saying are you a vessel mayhaps i would say i'm a i would say i'm a vessel like the web uh comic i um write called vessel which you can read for free on webtoon and tapas uh like it subscribe and Shingai. give us a review <laughs> i just love how wool plugs that in every time <laughs> And you absolutely should read Vessel. Um, I mean, I was just going to agree with that. I feel like there's also your characters tell you who they are as you tell the story. Um, and as you see them interacting with the world, with each other, with themselves. Like, you, I don't believe that any writer knows at the beginning of their story or novel or whatever it is who their char characters are going to become. Like, I don't think you fully understand until it has happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just going to say, like, um, I think being the youngest and being raised with all women has given me um, a sensitivity to the way in which people talk. I think specifically to, like, women. I think I'm actually more sensitive about it than um, my sisters are. Because I will actually call out sexism before they will. And then when I say it, they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't realize that. Um, and I also see the way that, like, my nephews relate to my niece sometimes. It's just really interesting when you're raised in a predominantly uh, female household of what you can interpret. Also, I would say that sometimes in certain cultures, men tend to be babied and favored more than the women. And I definitely have seen that with my, um, my family.
I have kind of a follow-up question for Will. Um, and also, I think, like, I just remembered the quote when you said that about, like, boys being babied in certain cultures. And I feel like that's most, if not all, cultures. Um, Michelle Obama, who I don't quote often, but did say that we raise our daughters and love our sons. And I really feel like that's so bloody relevant in so many ways. <laughs> because, like, sons are loved more easier or more naturally um and daughters are taught to be responsible responsible that's another part of the refrain um the question for will as he walks away (laughs) (laughs) will wait he did not want to hear that question (laughs) no brought up see no home training i mean he heard you he's back (laughs) One moment. You, you can't leave. She's asking a question. <laughs> keep going. Keep keep asking a question. I just someone rang my door. So I'm, I'm trying to think of a phrase up after what you said, Shingai. But I think was it like boys grow grow tall or something, and and women grow up. Like it's a phrase about that. I mean, and that is as you often say, Shingai. Like everything's political. Yeah. Really? Like, even if you don't, if you think you're not being political, yeah. I mean, everything really is. And like, I'm trying to take this back to relationships and how that not only because we've focused a lot about like sibling relationships, yeah, but you also have a relationship to your community, to even like even to your government, like it that touches on your character yeah. and. So I think that's also, I mean, a thing to think about if you have the space in this, your first draft, because the focus of this part of the book we're we're reading is the first draft. So like many of the things we've talked about, we will consider on a on a revision. So, oh, I also got someone knocking on the door. Will. No, Shingai. Yes. Shingai, go ahead and ask your question. Okay. Um, will. Do you think that you being able to see the sexism and call it out more is tied to experiences with homophobia? Yeah, hundred percent. I think I think it's all tied together. I think I'll even call out racism or like, yeah, I'll call out racism flat out. I know yeah. I know sometimes my sisters and the rest of my family feel like they're walking on eggshells. I know this for a fact because it just happened today. Um, Because I will blatantly call shit out and be like, why do you think that's okay? Or I will bring up something in the news and they'll be like um, non-responsive. And I have to be like, you see, like today it happened today about the Catholic church. I sent something in a text to my family and I, cause the Catholic church was protesting the LA Dodgers pride event. And I said, doesn't the Catholic church have anything better to do? Well, my family's Catholic. My sister teaches at a Catholic school and there was no response. And so my response to their no response was, it must be nice to have so much privilege that you can't even give a response because it doesn't affect you. And then what happens is that my sister was like, I didn't get a chance to respond, but it's always like that. Like if I don't call things out and say something, they let it slip Mm -hmm. under the rug. 
And I feel like with my sisters, they've been conditioned to sweep things under the rug that are uncomfortable. And I see it in my one niece, Monique, shout out if you're listening. Um, Mm -hmm. She has said to me certain things of like, I can't believe that's happened. And why am I not like that? But other people in the family are. And I really do think it's because of like having homophobia. I, my, yeah. my sister said something to me. This was a couple years ago. I don't think I've ever, ever talked about this on the podcast, but she said to me, um, I said, I'm really surprised people, this group of people like me. And my sister said, well, everyone likes you. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm used to being hated on by everyone. So sometimes I think that is also um, something. Anyway, sorry. Is your niece queer? No. Is your niece? Oh, okay. I'm just trying to tie it to what you were saying no, earlier. No, I, I think she just notices it sometimes because I say a lot of things, but also my niece, Monique, is really um, open and aware. Do you know what I mean? Like, they grew up with me being uh, a raving homosexual, right? Like, it was never it was never not talked about. Everyone knew I was, right? So for them, it's normal. But with her, I think, just like to Shingai's point, my sister, I think, has been really like a little more laxed on her sons in certain ways, where Monique, she was a little bit more um, tougher on. So I think that is also could be something. When I was, uh, I have a good friend who um, spent years going to the Michigan Women's Music Festival. And, uh, you know, and obviously that organization has a bunch of like weird shit and like a history of like trophiness and trans exclusion exclusion uh but uh one of her things about going she went for years and years and her thing about going was that like you know throughout most of her life she walks around with what she calls a shield this big heavy thing on her back this this need to be on guard because even in situations she told a story about being with one of her brother's friends and he said something shitty and assumptive, just like, you know, you know, essentially he's saying something to the effect of like, I could fuck you if I wanted to. And she was just like, what would make you feel empowered to say that or think that's true? Or just like, like fuck consent. Just like I, I could do what I want to do. And she's like, I carry this shield around with me. But when I go to the Michigan women's music festival, because there are no men around, I'm able to put the shield down for, you know, four days and listen to great music and not feel like I'm under duress. And I think that like in the way that women are raised to be on guard, you know, don't wear that around that uncle rather than calling out the uncle. Don't wear that around them or, you know, it's it's her fault if XYZ happens to her, so on and so forth, you know. Men are taught to to live and enjoy all the privileges that are available to them uh, with little to any consequence, right? And we don't have a conversation about that, I think, until something happens. And even then, there's a lot of, again, like a cousin of mine, when uh, the first, uh, not the first R. Kelly accusation, that was Aaliyah, when the second R. Kelly accusation came around and there was video evidence, like one of my cousins was like, that little girl knew what she was doing. I was like, 
that whole sentence has the 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 cognitive dissonance built into it. That little girl knew what she was doing. That little girl couldn't consent. And so I think that's part of the way, in my opinion, that women are raised and men are coddled. You know what's interesting? I mean, I think my sisters are great moms. I want to say that. I think a lot of times, like, you know, my, my sisters were all so young when they had their kids. They were, like, in their 20s. And I think um, sometimes you internalize such messages that you don't even realize you're reflecting it, you know? Because I know my niece has said something to my her mom, and I know my sister's like, oh, I, you know, she felt bad and was like, I'm sorry. Um, I also think, though, it's interesting, LP, that you brought up about, like, you know, uh, when you hear women like having to not be around men to like let their guard down. I also find a problem with this with gay men. I think when gay men, especially more in the past, I feel like Gen Z is changing things a lot, which is great. G- gay men would feel too emboldened to grab a woman's breast or their body parts. And that shit drives me nuts. I hate that. I hate it. It's it's the shield of thinking that like homophobia uh, uh, inco- inco- inoculates inoculates someone against racism or misogyny or sexism, and it's like experiencing one oppression doesn't mean that you can't contribute to another. Like that is another episode. <laughs> I remember this guy. I was like briefly like dating, flirting with. I would say he was out with my me and my friend Emily. And he kept saying what a nice rack she had and like grabbed her breast and Emily just laughed. And I told him right in front of her, I was like, I don't care that you're gay. If you do that one more time, I'm going to rip your goddamn throat out. Sorry. So I just think that doesn't, there's so many internalized misogyny that we have in society. And listen, I laugh with Billy and Gabe because I will say some uh, toxic masculinity shit sometimes too. And Gabe calls me out on it. I was like, oh my God, you know? And I think it's like, especially when it comes to like competitiveness or things like that, then I just have to realize like, this is a narrative that has been ingrained in me and I need to exercise it out. Shingai? Thank you, Gabe. Uh- I just want to say one more thing and then take it back to Gabe and the writing because <laughs> that's been, that's the conversation that we've kind of walked away from. Um, but, well, your point just made me think more about something that I was trying to articulate, which is what I understand about your sister's perspective is that there is a lot of shit that women have been taught to not talk about to survive. And it's like, you don't see it so that you can focus on like surviving and protecting yourself. And it's not good. It's not healthy. Um, I was just having a conversation around generational trauma and like internalizing that. (laughs) Um, And I also fully understand because like to some degree, having brothers and having like men in my life who I really appreciate and love deeply they are more shameless about their opinions than I and the women in my life have been taught to be. (laughs) Um, So there is a shame and a fear 
that is like ingrained into fe- like a lot of femme people, especially in marginalized communities, because like you know the generational trauma. Um, that is a lot to unlearn years later. Doesn't excuse it, excuse it, but it it does kind of explain it a little. Nick. Well, it's just super interesting that, you know, we could say, and I'll say it, right, thinking at first, so we're kind of off topic here, but at the same time, like, if we are talking about relationships and how that affects our characters, well, there's some real world examples that we just kind of went through of how relationships affect us, who we are, how we think, Um, and I think we covered some really, really good world building pieces there as well. Um, Gabe, if you can tie that back in. Samim? Well, no, I was just going to add um, often what you don't, what you have a character not say tells you a lot about them and the world and the society that they're in. Um, if they're hesitant to say something or they leave information out, um, I think that's that's a huge piece of world building. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I was thinking about listening to this wonderful and also, I mean, conversation about awful mm-hmm. things is like to encourage everyone listening to think about these things when writing your characters and your relationships. Because even if you're in a fantasy world, unless you have like a very, very thought out and compelling reason for these things not to exist, they would. I mean, I mean, that's, that's my opinion. Like sexism, racism, all those things, unless, I mean, you think about how a certain society would not have any of that in general, you, we will have that. I mean, that is, it sucks. It's bullshit, but it's something that it's going to permeate everything, really. And not, I honestly think, not thinking about these kinds of things of for characters just, like, detracts from what you can achieve by just being, like, lis- listening to these. I mean, this was just a short conversation. There are infinite conversations about, about these topics. So I encourage everyone to, I mean expand and try to deconstruct as much as you can but also i mean thinking about craft try consciously to bring those things into your writing because most of us bring those things to our writing subconsciously as will was saying like i don't know if i do it consciously consciously or not but try to like things that would empower your writing and also make it more real because i mean that's that's what i think bringing all these kinds of things will make your writing be like it will improve it but also it will improve it will improve the world really the people reading it so yeah sorry for that rant lp yeah i think tying it all back together is just like you know interactions with the people do things that tell i i just uh guest edited an issue of the cosmic background um and uh it's a it's a flash market that publishes one uh one story a month and uh the story that i chose is by Marguerite Sheffer. And uh, what I really enjoyed about it was that, like, it was based in these interactions that this character had with, like, the people in her herd. And I learned so much about the world by by learning how she feels about the people in her herd. Um, I had such a, uh, a great time uh, learning about how she felt about the world and about the world by her interacting with the, with the people in her herd. And it gave me everything. I was like, oh, you have hooves. Okay, these are good things to know. You graze. 
okay, I'm not sure if you're a centaur or a horse, but you have hands because you're holding on to a piss yellow ribbon. You guys should check out this story. Uh, but like, it did so much in like less than a thousand words. And so it's like, if you, I, I think one of the best character development things that we're capable of is to put people in scenes with other people so that we can show what's going on for the characters as well as the world. I don't know. Vibes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the next part that I was going to bring up, we don't have that much time. So I'm going to talk about a bit about this and then drop the link in the, in the show notes. And this is about the show arcane, which talking about relationships and characters, it is a freaking masterpiece. Anyone that has watched it, can vouch for that really i can see the faces of those who have watched it here in the room it's it's incredible and there's a video about uh how like the key to arcane's depth and it's how they work in the intersectionalities of characters to explore more things with less like to make their writing more efficient i will link the video it's like 20 minutes long it's incredible so i'll just like mention some examples of how how they do that, and how that helps to explore so much of world, of character, of your setting, of your plot, without having like a Game of Thrones size cast. Like with fewer characters, you can do more. And here's an example. For example, they have like to, you can explore different themes or topics like politics, science, social class, age. And how Arcane does this is they have two characters that are politicians. One is old and one is young. Then you have Two characters are politicians and scientists. One is old and one is young. Then two young scientists. One is poor and one is rich. Then you have two poor scientists. One is old, one is young. And then you have two young and poor scientists that one is evil, quote unquote, because that it's not it's not a thing in Arcane. One is evil and one is good. So I'll just, I mean, I'm just scratching the surface of this. I just encourage everyone to watch this video. It's going to be in the show notes. It's amazing is one of the things that have that has taught me so much about writing like the most it's insane it's incredible so jumping from this and i mean you're talking about uh, media and a question that i asked the group uh, a few days ago no i think it was a few weeks ago about what are your favorite characters in fiction i mean this is an insane question it's so it's hard to hard to do really and I would just like to ask the group your favorite characters and if you can just quickly say why. Maybe just even your your favorite character, your first one or couple, and why. So go, tell me. I mean, while you think I can mention mine, just recent. It's, I will, I will say this, I have said this many things, Greenbone Saga called Hilo. So many reasons how that's an insane, incredible, masterfully crafted character. So, Samim, I, I'm always really bad at thinking about things like this. Uh, so, my this might be a cop out, but uh, like half a dozen characters from Avatar, probably. Um, yep, I, I don't know. Like, Toph might be at the top top of the list um, for many reasons, um, but I mean, just there's just like a, a, an array of multiple dimensions and complexity um, and then also growth for the character um, through that the short time that they're on the show mm-hmm. um, but yeah I, I could probably list off dozens more so I'm going to stop there <laughs> yeah Nick K- 
Okay, I am going to go with Asher from the Rise of the Rangers, The Echoes of Fate Saga by Philip C. Quintrell. Um, probably one of my favorite characters because I relate to him so much in military. I don't know what you laughed at, Will. Um, with the military mindset because it's, it's taking from the beginning a child, turning them into a ruthless mercenary. And then you get to see them earn their humanity back slowly. Um, and yes, well, I very much do love those books. It's a nine book series with, with three trilogies, all separate stories that tie together. They're very good. They're very, they're amazing. You got to read them. Asher's great. Um, he's just he stripped his humanity away from him and you get to watch him earn it back book after book after book. It's great. LP. Miles, my motherfucking rallies. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Across the vi- across the Spider Verse was novelistic. It even had an epic comic book feel. But that character had so many themes that he went through, in addition to some of his secondary characters, which was really, I don't know. It was just really a joy to watch because I feel like the opportunity to see. I think that we get. We can get really complex characters in books. I think more often than not, when you when I live in Los Angeles and so like I end up reading scripts by people, and like more often than not, the the conversation is simplified, 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 so the story will be more streamlined. And they did not decide to simplify it, and in not deciding to simplify it, they managed to make um, the conflicts and the characters so much more nuanced than you normally get or than I normally perceive in in film. So I just thought that like the use of Miles, the way that Miles Morales um, got to be so many things in one like hundred and like 20 minutes was fucking fantastic. Shingai. So I have a couple. First, I'm going to heavily agree with LP and just say Miles is a dope ass character that needs to be recognized. Um, I would also say that Kipo, <laughs> I love a lot. Kipo is a great-ass character. Um, and Benson, who reminds me of Miles a little bit. Um, Darius from Atlanta, because I've been re-watching it. And I'm just like, I just, I love his Like, it's always a little spaced out but then he has this line about time being non-linear and I feel like that's where I felt the most seen <laughs> and he was explaining why he's always late and I was like yes absolutely um and then I was just showing the person that I'm seeing um a scene from sex education where I don't know if you all have watched it but there's a character called Eric who I am deeply in love with who is a gay first generation um, black character. And he like his whole journey through that show has my entire heart. Um, Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings, because I genuinely think that he carried the movie. Um, (laughs) And a lot of these characters are also the thing that I love about them is that they emphasize relationship. Um, and the last one that I'm going to give is, and I might get the pronunciation wrong, but Siala, 
from Black Sun. Um, yeah. And Gabe, you can correct me if I'm wrong with the pronunciation. I haven't had a book crush until I read that book. Like I haven't had a book crush in years until I read that book. And I was like obsessed with her, like genuinely in love. It was, yeah, it was a moment. Yeah, that's understandable. And pronunciation, you're good. Yeah. Will? Um, I have a couple. I have a few. I would say uh, definitely Miles Morales. I'm obsessed with him. And I would really like to write him one day. Um, I watched Across the Spider-Verse so far in five times. And I'm going to see it again this week once I'm done packing. That movie speaks to me. Okay. There's a lot of things I really love. Like they don't, there's no um, translation of Spanish. It is just effortless and it goes in there and it feels so New York and so like um, Latin. I just like, I absolutely adore that character. Um, Mateo from Ballad and Diger, which is a book by Daniel Jose Older. I love that Daniel gave this uh, masculine Latin boy the ability to heal. And he's a healer because you tend to take those qualities being uh, feminine, right? Or a lot of women characters tend to be healers. Um, Other characters that I really love, um, I mean, Buffy, for sure. Um, She's always been one of my favorite characters. I would be really interested in, you know, if Sarah Michelle Gellar wrote Buffy instead of uh, Joss Whedon, because I know she would come out even more powerful. And then I would say the main character of Tracy Dion's uh, Legendborn. I'm drawing a blank on her name, but she was one of my favorites. And Anita Blake from Laurel K. Hamilton. There we go. Nice. So, I mean, my idea for asking this question is like to show, to see the passion people have for characters and the relationships and the impact they have in stories and how this, like evoking this in your characters, like achieving this in your characters. I think that's the highest thing. I mean, this is my opinion. This is the highest thing you can do for your story to have a thing that can transcend and kind of have People be passionate for years and years and just die for your story. It's character and relationships. So, yeah. And now to the last section of character that Matt talks about, just uh, quickly, is about minor characters. And the gist of this section is, I mean, he talks about some examples in that he has in his writing, but how we have, we can have a story with too many characters or too few characters and how sometimes we can promote a minor character into a secondary or like to a more prominent character, and how sometimes we have to delete a character because we have too many. So just quickly, has anyone recently have like a character that you liked, a minor character that you liked so much in your story, and then, okay, this this character is going to be more prominent or having to delete a character because they don't serve the story anymore. So many hands up, Will. Thank you so much, Gabe. Um, <clears throat> for me, for, you know, uh, Vessel, 
uh, which you can read on Webtoon and Tapas. <laughs> Sorry, I'm teasing. Um, there's a character named Izzy. <clears throat> and at first I was like, I liked her, right? But she wasn't supposed to be such a strong character. And in fact, uh, Sebastian, who's the artist for the webcomic, was saying like, I thought Izzy was going to die in like the fourth issue. And what turned out happening is she is just as important as Deanna, the main character. Because what I started learning through writing it, and this is where I really say, you know, like my characters talk to me. She's like the way into the story from someone who doesn't have powers, right? Like she is the reader. And so much so that one of the other characters, Malcolm, as of this, you know, in June, hasn't even fully stepped on stage yet because I kept utilizing Izzy so much because she started to become so like integral in like a gateway into the story. You know, she's the only one so far who's exhibited no supernatural abilities, but she's probably, I would say the one who's going to put the mystery together, you know, and start putting puzzles together. Um, And then there's been times when, you know, I've had to get rid of a character and like start from scratch. And one of them was from a short story I wrote called Soul Collector, which Gabe read. Um, I had to literally like sort of get rid of her and rewrite her totally because she wasn't as um, enthralling as one of the other characters. So both. Yep. Samim? Yeah, I think one of the things, um, I think when I was maybe a quarter or uh, of my way through this first draft, um, I started switching up the perspective. Um, and I think this is one of the things that Matt recommends um, in one of the early sections of the book is um, when you get stuck, just write from a different character's perspective uh, and see how that feels. Um, and so I just started doing that way more um, and giving airtime to characters that I hadn't really considered and as you know important characters um and there's some characters who you know in the the last third of the book are way more important and now when i go back for the second draft i'm you know i'm going to change how they they come up in the first draft as well to to reflect that Um, and there's other characters that i thought were going to be really important who i didn't really feel like giving them airtime um i didn't feel like they had anything like um compelling or important to say um, and I have to go back and reflect on whether or not they really need to be in the book um, or if they're just background characters or if I just need to rethink their role. Um, yeah, so definitely as I'm like, I think it's worth thinking through. Uh, I think there's a really util- utilitarian way to do this and say like, what do I need characters to be and do um, to move the story along and to create a compelling story? Um, but then there's also... Uh, what do you as the author feel most, who do you, you as the author feel most interested in hearing from? Um, and I think that's probably, at least for me, the ones I'm most excited from hearing from, uh, that makes it to the page. Like the reader will be able to tell immediately like, oh, Samin really wanted us to hear this person's voice. They're very excited about it for some reason. Shingai? Um, I was so mesmerized by Samin's point that I forgot my own. <laughs> No, I'm not going to add to anything on top of that. Samim, <laughs> you said it all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's it's inter- interesting how that, I mean, that was going to be like my last thought, what Samim mentioned, because I think that I found that to be a gem in this chapter. Like that last thing about character, that that applies to everything, not just character creation, to the whole process of writing your first draft 
And that is something that has taking, taken the wind out of my sails so many times from not doing that, from not waiting, just writing the thing and then doing the changes later. And uh, I'm going to read a part. Uh, it's actually like the last paragraph of the of this section. I mean, one one part about how, I mean, Matt says, just quoting, you can't wait until you're completely sure of some decision to move forward. I think this is key that has killed my momentum so many times. Like, I need to figure this out so I can figure the last part out. No, like just that is advice. I mean, if you want to just try to try it for the fit to see if that that is something that works for you. But really, in my experience and what Matt recommends and now hearing Samim, it's validating to see that, yeah, you're going to change it later. It's just keep going. If you don't have it figured out, keep going. So now I'm going to read the last paragraph of this section, which is, I mean, talks more about this. And I think this is something every writer going through the first draft, short story, novel, whatever length, just take this to heart. And so here it goes. So often you learn what's right only by trying more than one solution in the same document. Remembering always that efficiency isn't the goal. A great book is the goal. And the path to a great book is often winding and unclear, involving as much backtracking as it does clear progress. But there's nothing to do for it but to walk the crooked road you're on, believing all the while that eventually it'll eventually lead you home. And I think, I mean, this, just reading, when I read this a few weeks ago, it helped me write so much. Like, it gave me so much momentum, so much permission to just keep going because you're going to rewrite most of your of this first draft, which is something that we will see in the next sections. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.